Well, we're going to have a little fun this morning. I'm preaching a totally different message than last night, and last night's message was a totally different message than I'd planned on preaching this weekend. So all told, this is the third message, third different message that I've planned or prepared to preach this weekend. I was going to preach a message this weekend entitled, It's Time to Stretch. And we'll get to that at some point. Uh, there are some things that it appeared were going to go down this past week, and the message, I believe, was God's response to what's happening among us. And at some point, I know the Lord will have us talk through all of that. Uh, but then things didn't go the way we anticipated for them to go, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, and I started to wrestle with some things, and one of those things was disappointment. Now, I'm giving a disclaimer before we jump into this message because I already know some of y'all have a jacked up view of the, the people who stand on a stage. And here's your jacked up view. You don't say it, but you expect them to be perfect. And we're not. And one thing about me, I'm never going to pretend that I am. Here's why. Because if I do, you'll put me on a pedestal. And if I allow you to put me on a pedestal, it's the fastest way for me to fall. So every once in a while, I'm going to bring you into some stuff that's going on in my world, and it's going to bother some of you. And here's why. I figured it out. I've been in this job as a senior pastor for over a decade now. I have figured out why some people get so bothered when the preacher starts to get honest about the wrestling match or struggles he's going through. Here's the why. Because it makes you get honest about the ones you're going through. You don't want me to talk about what I'm going through, so you don't have to worry about what you're going through. But I'm not that guy. I want to get into the mud. And I'm not going to pretend. Listen, in my opinion, preachers can get sideways when they start pretending. I, I've tried that. I did not sleep well during that season of my life. So we ain't about to revisit it. I'm not gonna live like that, okay? So I'm gonna talk a little bit about navigating some disappointment. And I need you to hear my heart, okay? But I also need you to not, after the service, come up to me like I am in some deep state of depression. <laughs> Pastor, it's going to be okay, I'm so sorry. It's life! And it's okay. We live in a fallen world and difficult things are going to happen and we're going to have to do hard things. It's just the way it is, okay? But I was reminded this last week that disappointment is a real thing. It's not just an emotion I feel. It's also a weapon Satan loves to use. It's both. So I'm not going to minimize the feeling of disappointment, and I'm also not going to maximize or overdo, fixate on Satan's desire to use disappointment as a weapon against us. I'm just going to walk down the middle, okay? How many of us have ever felt disappointed before? Would you just put your hand up and hold it up so we can test your deodorant? Look around. No, no, no. Keep it up. Look around. 
Look around. Keep your hand up. Because we have some people in this room right now who are disappointed. And I just want you to know, you're not by yourself. And we're going to get to you at the end of this message, and we're going to have some fun doing it. Last night, I preached on Ruth, and really, I just think the message was for me. And last night in the vestibule, after the service, I felt the Holy Spirit say, tomorrow, we talk about Elijah. And it was like with that tone. I was like, okay, sir. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to run through a bunch. I'm, I'm just going to dump a bunch of stuff on you. And the title of this message is, A Guide to Overcoming Disappointment. Sometimes we just need it to be simple. When things are hard, I need for things to be simple. So this guide is designed to be as simple as possible to remind us all what we must do to successfully navigate when we experience disappointment. Disappointment easily overtakes you when you don't understand how it works. So the first three points, and there are four points to this message, the first three points all start with the word understand because I just want to show you how disappointment works using Elijah as our frame of reference. Here's point number one. If you want to overcome disappointment, understand when disappointment comes. Understand when it comes. Two ways or two times we see uh, disappointment come through Elijah. First, right after something amazing happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 38, 39, and 40. I'm not reading the whole story. He's in the showdown with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And I'm just going to read you the amazing thing that happens. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down in the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. This is a holy moment. An amazing thing has just happened. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. This was a showdown of epic proportions. An amazing thing has just happened. And I'm going to read you here over the next few moments that disappointment settles in really quickly. But it happens immediately follow something amazing happening. This serves as a wonderful reminder for us all. Now, don't, don't be the person who, when, when something awesome is happening, that you just rain on the parade and say, well, the devil's about to attack because something awesome is happening. No, 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 it's, it's not Eeyore, it's not like that, okay? Here's what it's like, just being aware. If you expect everything to always go awesomely, you're going to be gravely disappointed. I don't wake up in the morning and go, today's going to be a bad day. I just wake up and go, I have an enemy. And, and since we transitioned to Pillar Church, first hundred days were a pretty decent hot streak for us spiritually. A lot of great things happening that you can see and a lot of things that you can't see yet. When amazing things happen, the enemy loves to attack. 
I don't need to be afraid of it, but I do need to be aware of it. Opposition comes after offense. To the extent the victory God gave you was overwhelming is the extent to which Satan's response will be overwhelming. It's how he works. When Satan sees things moving in your favor, he moves even more quickly to fight you. Now, for me, this disappointment started to set in after a couple of things. In the midst of an amazing time, beginning Pillar Church, just some doors shut, some things didn't happen the way I anticipated them to happen. Uh, And essentially, we kind of got three big no's all at once. First, we tried to buy this building. We can't rent forever. For those of you who understand business principles, you can rent for a season, but it's never wise to rent forever. And here's why. Because you're giving someone else the money. It's just, it's bad business, okay? So that's, that's always been a frustration for me. Now, we rent at an amazing rate, warehouse space, and if you didn't know, that's all this room is, is a warehouse. But when God walks into a warehouse, the warehouse is no longer a warehouse, it's a furnace. Sometimes he just likes to use a manger to draw attention to something awesome. Warehouse space has gone through the roof. We have an incredible deal here, but we can't rent forever. So we tried to buy this building. For us, the elders, it represented the most shrewd move we could make financially, in our opinion. We tried to buy it. We thought it was about to go down. And then something came up. I don't need to divulge all the details. It wasn't because of us. It didn't have anything to do with financing, da 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 Something popped up and the Lord literally closed the door and we were not allowed to buy this building or the one next to it. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was a little bit disappointed. Then we thought right around the corner, we found our house of Bethany, the first one. 11 different rooms spread out to pretty much everyone else in the city of Scottsdale. It was an absolute jacked up couple of houses put together, but to us, it was perfect for the house of Bethany. We offered more money than everyone else. We were aggressive in our offer. They took less money from us than we offered from someone else. And we found out that we wouldn't have been able to buy it anyways because of a a little known law in the city of Scottsdale. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that second no, caused a little more disappointment to creep in. And then this past week, and I haven't told you anything about it because the stakes were a little bit too high to talk about it publicly, but for the last couple of weeks, we've been negotiating on a new home. And it appeared on paper to be an act of God. Uh, Little things that are really big things. There were over a thousand parking spots. Can I get an amen? And just to give you perspective, okay, in our city, right down the street from where you're sitting right now, the richest man in the state of Arizona bought 10 acres for $31 million. To give you perspective, when I was in Dallas, we bought 200 acres for where the the main campus in Southlake is, right across from the biggest mall in that area. On the highway, 200 acres for $12.5 million. I'm just giving you perspective how crazy it is out here. 
And here's what that means. That means if you need 100 parking spots, that takes an acre of dirt at about $2.5 million for every 100 cars you need to park. It's $2.5 million. So if there are 1,000 parking spots, that's $25 million, not counting the asphalt. It's crazy. It seemed perfect. The elders were prayer walking just about every morning on top of that parking garage. It was located perfectly. It seemed as though God was, everything God was saying was leading in this direction. The pillars seemed to be moving towards that property. And then this week, we got the news. There were only two offers on this property, us and one other. And wouldn't you know, they offered less than us. And the seller took their offer over ours. It's never a good thing when your uh, agent, your commercial real estate agent, says to you, and he's one of the most connected people in the city of Scottsdale, been doing this for decades, never a good thing when he says, I'm just telling you something about the city of Scottsdale. I've worked in most, if not all, of the cities in the valley over the last 25 plus years. And I'm telling you in the city of Scottsdale, it's one of the hardest cities to do church in the state of Arizona. The city loves to tear them down, but hates to build them up. It's just hard. Thank you for the encouragement, sir. <laughs> now, there's a side of me that likes that challenge, and you know that about me. But I'm also human. And when you endure that for a long time, it can wear on you a little bit. And I didn't realize when I got that news that they went with someone else. And listen, the deal hasn't closed yet. And I personally believe that this could be a Boaz moment where they appear to get it. And as they count the cost, it's gonna be more expensive to finish out than they expected. And Boaz ends up redeeming as the kinsman redeemer. I think there's still a chance. So you can pray about that. But even if it, if it doesn't go that way, it's okay. But I didn't understand at the time when I got the third no, a wave of disappointment swept in. In the middle of all these amazing things happening, disappointment didn't creep in, it swept in. Here's the second when disappointment comes, when something doesn't go as you expected. Look in verse 41 of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Okay, they'd been in drought. He's saying this by faith. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Scripture says he prayed earnestly. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then, and then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Now, I, I just hit the pause button. I want you to really pay attention to the fact, because I think sometimes we just, we skip to the next sentence because we want to get to the exciting part. We want to get to the, the part that the cloud shows up the size of a man's hand. Seven times, Elijah said to a servant, go and look out towards 
the sea and tell me when you see a, a cloud coming. And the first time he goes, comes back and says, I don't see anything. He does it six more times while everyone's watching. He just said, rain is coming. Can you imagine being Elijah for a minute? You just called fire down from heaven. You're on a hot streak. Be honest, you would just kind of naturally assume that the next prayer you pray, if you prayed fire down from heaven and now you're gonna pray rain down from heaven, it was just gonna come like that, like a flood. But it didn't. It didn't. And he sent his servant back seven times. Wanna know why I think it went down this way? So that Elijah, two things, so that Elijah would rely on God and realize what just happened wasn't because of him, but because of God. This is why I think God does it like this. He called fire down from heaven. When was the last time you did that? If you did, I wouldn't blame you if you thought the next prayer you prayed was gonna happen the second you prayed it, but it didn't. And he kept praying and sent his servant back seven times. Things did not go the way he expected. Here's how you know. Because he told him to go look at the cloud. And it didn't show up. How many times do you have an idea of the way you think things are going to go? And then they don't end up going that way. Here's one of the things I've learned about expectations. Expectations can be fun, but also dangerous. Something I've learned about expectations. As I get older, I'm trying not to get specific with my expectations. I'm trying to expect God to be God, but not get so specific that I expect God to do exactly what I think he'll do. Here's why. Because every time I set it up, that's the building. That's got to be it. The elders are in agreement. We're all prayer walking. It seems the Lord is moving in this direction. Everyone else is staying away from this building like it was the plague. They literally, listen, 129,000 square foot building that got completely gutted and would cost another business about 20 to $25 million to finish out so that they could rent it out. Which means that four million a year, probably gonna be about six years before they make a dollar. That, my friends, is called a godly plague. I'm looking at it going, this is it. Like you're keeping them away from this bad boy. And I didn't realize I was painting a very specific picture of something God might have never been planning to do. And the more specific I got, the more room I was making for disappointment. Seven times he goes back. When things don't go as expected, Satan loves to introduce the narrative that nothing is going to go as planned. When Satan tries to unsettle you, just remember it's one of his favorite ways to scare you. Because you know how he rolls. Let's just use me again. 
I'm pressing. It's not that building because there's not going to be a building. Isn't that funny how he does that? Or maybe you and your spouse have been praying to get pregnant for years and years and you get pregnant and then you experience an unfortunate miscarriage. And he sweeps in and says, because there's never going to be a baby. Listen, we've got to turn the light on and expose the way he rolls. Disappointment can roll in after something amazing happens, but also when things don't go as expected. Here's the second point. Understand where disappointment comes fastest. Understand where disappointment comes fastest. Another two subpoints. First, it comes fastest when you're alone. Look in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. Now he's been threatened by Jezebel. They've threatened to kill him. We find you, we're going to kill you. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Remember the servant he had just sent out faithfully seven times. His ride or die. He set him on a street corner and fled in fear all by himself. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. This is such an important verse. Can I give you a piece of advice? Never wander through the wilderness all by yourself. It is so dangerous. The wilderness is part of being human, but you don't have to navigate it all by yourself. One of the most foolish things I can do is navigate the wilderness alone. Elijah made a decision. You know how I'm going to navigate this fear I'm feeling? All by myself. Fastest way for the enemy to take you out is to isolate yourself. Later, God visits Elijah and says, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, here's the thing. I'm the only one who hasn't bowed his knee. I am all by myself. He actually repeats the narrative twice to the Lord. And then God comes back and says, hey, you're not alone. There are 7,000 like you that I'm protecting, just like I'm protecting you. Can I tell you something? Loneliness is a choice. I want to be very sensitive with this. But the only reason you are ever alone is because you choose to be. In the family of God, isolation is a choice, not a circumstance. Look around. Let's do it again. How many of us have ever been disappointed before? Look around. I don't know anybody who's going through what I'm going through. You can smell their armpit right now. They're so close to you. It's not four people in a room of hundreds. It's every person in a room of hundreds. If I'm ever alone, it isn't because it's my reality, it's because it's my choice. And the fastest way for the enemy to pick me off is for me to isolate myself, separate myself away from everyone else. Why do you think we're doing this Do Life Together campaign? You think it's just because we're sitting around like, we, we got to push something. 
What should we push? Well, we've done the hope thing. Maybe we should just do the together thing. I got it. Do life together. Dot com. Do you really think that's how it went down? Or do you think, as a pastoral staff, we've watched everyone long enough, especially over the last three years? We've watched the ones who are in community, and we've watched the ones who are in isolation. And it got really, really easy to see who's winning and who's getting their butt kicked. And let me just say, if you're getting your tail kicked right now, it's probably not because you are weak. It's probably because you're alone. And the people who are winning aren't winning because they're strong. It's actually because they just made a choice not to do life alone. Listen, I've gotten to benefit this last week and a half of my life from a couple of friends, very specifically, who didn't even fully know the disappointment I was dealing with, but they knew I was disappointed. And they, they, as quickly as the disappointment in, here's what it swept in, here's what a good friend does. They move in even faster. One friend, specifically, has probably stepped in more than at any point in our relationship. And it's it's not that the person came in and said, everything's going to be okay. God turns everything for good. It's that he just stepped in and said, I know this is hard, but God is with us and I'm with you. I'm telling you right now, there's a good chance somebody in your life needs to hear those words. That God is with you and so am I. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. Ride or die, baby. I'm with you. This is what I'm talking about, hugging over here. Yes. Yes. Real time. Real time. Listen, one of the reasons we don't get the help we need is because some of us are too proud to say we need it. But one of the benefits of doing life together is when I am weak, someone else comes in in strength to help me be strong. But Elijah made a choice to ditch his servant, his faithful servant on a street corner and go all by himself. If you make the choice to do life alone, good luck. I don't like your chances. But if you make the choice to do life together, I'll bet on you all day, every day. Here's the second where disappointment comes fastest. When you're empty. When you're running on empty. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. Then Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Why did the angel tell him to eat? He was famished. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. He was running on empty. And listen, 
when amazing things happen spiritually, I know it's awesome, but it's more draining than you think it is. See, Elijah's gotten a bad rap like he was some weak sauce. What was Elijah's problem? He just did amazing things. How, how do we, a, a woman threatened him and he was just scared. Okay, first, don't talk like that. Because every once in a while, my wife can scare me. When she flexes. Elijah gets a bad rap. But scripture says he was human just like us. That's why he went through what he went through. Because he's human just like you and me. He was on empty. The angel recognized his tank was empty. He was so empty that the first round of replenishment wasn't enough. The angel came again and said, no, no, that's not enough. You were far more empty than you thought. Eat up even more. Want to know the fastest way to be able to tell that you're running on empty? When easy things seem impossible. Easy things seem impossible when your tank is empty. When easier things seem harder than they should, it's not because you're weak. It's because you're empty. That was for a few people in this room. The enemy's trying to create a narrative against you. You're so weak. You're so weak. Look out. This easy thing is so hard for you. No. When my car doesn't have gas and it tries to get up a hill and I got to push that thing to get it up, it's hard. But when there's fuel in my truck, I can take down huge hills. It's not an issue of strength. It's actually an issue of fuel. And I'm just being totally transparent. Sometimes I think we have superhero syndrome. We get on a hot streak and we just think, and we don't say it out loud, but it's like, I'm doing so great right now, I don't really even have needs. Let a couple more weeks go by, Cupcake. <laughs> the more miles you must travel, the more fuel you must have. I didn't realize it. I was running on empty a little more than I thought. Fastest way disappointment sets in is when you're running on empty and you don't have the energy to combat it. <laughs> Something kind of funny about me, uh, when I was younger, uh, the people that know me know I can go a while without eating. Like if, I have, if I'm traveling and I have a day with a bunch of meetings, I can literally go the whole day and not eat a bite of food and not even realize that I've not eaten food or had a drink. Okay? It's not healthy. I'm not saying it's healthy. But the Lord helped me a couple of times realize this was a really unhealthy habit. And here's how it happened. I remember when I was in college, I was getting a golf lesson in the heat of the summer in Texas. I had not had anything to eat. It was like 104 degrees. And my lesson was at noon. Okay? No shade, no nothing. I had not eaten anything. And I had not had a drop of liquid. I get to my golf lesson, and this was a really big deal golf instructor. You know, he's teaching me. And I'm standing there, and after about 15, 20 minutes into the lesson, I start feeling my marbles get a little wobbly. You ever felt that feeling? 
Like you know it's coming, but you try and fight it. So I'm taking swings, I'm trying to act like that guy, you know, but I can, I can tell because I'm starting to see stars instead of golf balls. And what happens? I pass out. Trying to be cool. I could have just got a drink and sat down for a minute, but I was determined I'm gonna keep going. I was on empty. What happens when you try and do too much when you're running on fumes? You always crash out. I didn't learn the lesson though, because I'm stubborn like that. So a couple years later, I was at uh, the tailor getting a suit uh, tailored for a wedding. And this tailor, again, we're in the summer of Texas, and this tailor didn't have air conditioning. So it was hotter inside than it was outside. And humid as all get out. And I'm standing, you know, you're standing on that box with the three mirrors, right? And I can feel it coming on. Again, I had not eaten anything. I had not had anything to drink. I was completely dehydrated. But trying to push through. So I'm standing there, and I can feel it's coming. I, I start like a palm tree in a haboob. <laughs> I start doing this. So if you've ever done a wedding or been in a wedding, you know, or done anything in public on a stage, you know one of the tricks is what? Don't lock your knees. So I mean, I was down like this. <laughs> She's trying to, you know, measure me and all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm not going down. What happens? 30 seconds later, I wake up with my head against the mirror and a smudge from six foot three inches high all the way down to where my body is resting. And she's freaking out. Why did I pass out? I was running on fumes, trying to convince myself I had a full tank. Disappointment sweeps in quickest when you're running on empty. Here's point number three. Understand how disappointment comes at you. So when, where, and how. How disappointment comes at you. First, disappointment comes in like a flood. Not like a friend. Look at verse 4, 2 Kings 19. Then he went on alone, Elijah, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This guy just called down fire, and now he's calling down death. That's how quickly disappointment swept in. Look what he says. Why does he ask to die? I have had enough. Lord, I've had enough. This is too much. It flooded me too fast. Just kill me now. Because disappointment can come quickly, we need to deal with it just as quickly. Here's what I learned about this last round for me. I waited too long to deal with it. I kind of felt a little something and you know, then we got news from my daughter this week. She has a severe 
kidney infection, bladder infection, kidney stones. She probably may have surgery to get them out. Like all this trash. And see, my, when my kids start getting attacked, well, then I, I get really serious. A building is one thing, but my kids are another thing. Buildings come and go, but my kids don't. Well, once that happened, now you've picked on me and the ones I love, I got proactive really fast. But I should have been proactive before that. Because something was going on inside of me that was creating an open door for the enemy to wreak havoc in my heart and life and mind. Comes in like a flood. He went from the top, the pinnacle of spiritual power to the depth of depression and disappointment. Here's the second way disappointment comes at you. It comes in like a dark cloud. Look at the rest of verse four. He says, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Question, had any of his ancestors ever called down fire from heaven? I'm just being the practical one right now. It's not a rhetorical question. Had any of his ancestors ever called down fire before? Okay. Then why was he saying, I'm just like all the other ones? No, he's not. We're not talking about his ancestors to this day. We're talking about him and what God used him to do on Mount Carmel. Something was different about him. But because that dark cloud swept in over him, he couldn't see straight. And when you can't see straight, you'll never be able to see you straight. And one of the ways the enemy gets us to tap out is under that cloud of darkness and confusion. He tries to get me confused about me. So here's how it happens. Preston, not only is there no building, there's no calling. Scottsdale was an idea you had, not a calling God gave. I heard all kinds of things over the last 10 days. Remember, one of the things I've tried to teach you over the last decade of my life, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, sometimes you just need to say out loud, that's not how God talks. My daddy does not talk like that. He does not say things like, well, if there's no building, there's no anointing. Holmes sent his son to a manger. He doesn't need a mansion. And he's certainly not the one who says things like, well, if it didn't go the way you expected, it means nothing is going to go the way God has planned. That's not how God talks. But that's how his enemy most certainly talks. And he loves to come in like a dark cloud. Remember the why. When the light of life shines through you and on you, Satan will always attempt to extinguish it with darkness. But let me read you a verse that is so encouraging about this very thing the enemy tries to do, extinguishing the light with darkness. John 1 verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
Sometimes when you're disappointed, you just got to talk dirty. Well, Preston, how do I talk dirty in a godly way? With the book. How do people survive without this book? It's hard enough with it. Yes, it's great. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's awesome. But you know what's even better than that? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp. Here's another way to say that. Preston's paraphrase. When I don't know what to do or where to go, your word always tells me so. So I get in that book. The darker things get, the more I need his flashlight. And if I was your enemy, I'd try and keep you so far away from this book. Let me just remind you why he wants to keep you away from this book. Please don't see this book as a box to check. This is a weapon to wield. That's why your enemy tries to keep you away from it. Last night's message, all I literally did was just preach through verses of Ruth. Because I was still feeling a little up under it. You know an amazing thing that happens? When we just say out loud what we're wrestling with, the wrestling match gets a little bit easier. But when we just keep it here and here, it's always hardest. So I let it out last night, and a funny thing happened. I slept awesome last night. I woke up this morning ticked off and ready to fight. Why? Because I was reminded not only was I being picked on, but a bunch of people I love are being picked on. See, it's easier for me to see with you, but I'm a little bit slower to see it with myself. That's something I've got to learn. I will pick up on it quick. I can look at your face. God made me empathetic. I fought it for years because I thought it was weakness, but it's who I am. So in the lobby, off of your countenance, there are times I feel like the Holy Spirit will help me see you are up under it, and I will come to fight. Well, why, when I look at myself in the mirror with the same exact face, am I slow to respond? I don't know yet, but I got to do better because this is war. But here's the, the answer. It's hard to see clearly when the enemy brings in that dark cloud. And sometimes all we have to do is just remind ourselves, this off feeling I have isn't because I'm going crazy, it's because there's a cloud of darkness over my head. Here's point number four, we'll finish with this, and then we're gonna do something fun together. When you're disappointed, trust the Lord. This is not a cliche, this is the best advice I can give you. When you feel disappointed, trust the Lord. Here's three things I try and remind myself. When things don't appear to be going the way I thought they would, here's just one of the ways I encourage myself. I remind myself of three things. First, God knows what he's doing. When it seems like things are going in a direction that are out of control, I remind myself, God knows exactly what he's doing. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you, Preston, cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Second, I remind myself, God has everything he needs to do it. He knows what he do he's doing and he has everything he needs 
to pull it off. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He has everything he needs to pull off what he wants to do. God isn't scrounging around looking for what he needs to pull this off. He already has it. He's just lining up his shot. And here's the third thing I remind myself. And this one is what really helps me sleep well when I feel disappointed or concerned that things aren't going the way God said they would. I remind myself no one can stop him from doing what he wants to do. No city, no municipality, no investment group can stop what God wants to do. Isaiah 14, verse 27, the Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? God said that. One of the best ways to deal with disappointment when things don't go the way you expected is to remind yourself it's just Saturday. Can I remind you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people of the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. We embrace the pain of Friday. We endure the waiting of Saturday. But we enforce the victory of Sunday. And if you're disappointed right now with where things are, can I just sweetly tell you, Sunday is coming. It's just Saturday. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Every year we get a reminder, but we should remind ourselves every day we are a people of the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. And after you've experienced the pain of Friday, and then you have to endure the waiting of Saturday, sometimes it can seem like easy pickings for the enemy. But if you're disappointed, I just want to tell you, Sunday is coming.